Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am Kareem Sirajuddin. Today's show is called Ramadan, Self-Diagnosis. I see Ramadan as a month of self-diagnosis, as well as a month of self-development, and I'm going to share a bit more about why, why that's the case. Many of us have probably heard this verse, and we will continue to hear it uh, throughout the month. Chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 183. O you who have believed, decreed upon you is fasting, as it was decreed upon those before you, that you may become righteous, or in Arabic, So there's word taqwa here. Fasting is supposed to help us with this idea of taqwa. And taqwa has many shades of meaning. And um, perhaps some of the ways to understand it is God conscientiousness, um, enhancing your awareness of the divine presence, being mindful, uh, having cautionary character or steps, you know, in your life. Um, fear to do anything wrong or unlawful or displeasing to Allah. Um, taqwa is also kind of a shield or a protective state that we um, can cultivate within ourselves. So these are some of the meanings of taqwa. So how does fasting actually make us uh, enhance in this? Because that's what the Quran says. It's been prescribed to us and those before us, which means fasting has been a practice of all religions and the prophets from before um, the nations that they went to, there was fasting as part of their practice. It's not something new uh, with the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So this is a consistent human heritage of increasing taqwa. Chapter 2, verse 185. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Shahru Ramadana Alladhi unzila fiha al-Qur'anu Huda lin-nas Ramadan is the month in which the Qur'an was revealed as a guide or a gift for humanity and it continues, I'll read the English with clear proofs of guidance and the standard to distinguish between right and wrong so whoever is present with this month, let them fast. But whoever is ill or on a journey, then let them fast an equal number of days after Ramadan. Allah intends ease for you, not hardship, so that you may complete the prescribed period and proclaim the greatness of Allah for guiding you, and perhaps you will be grateful. Chapter 2 verse 186 Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. One of my favorite verses of the Quran, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And when my servants ask you, 
about me, meaning God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I am truly near. I am truly near. فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And then the verse continues, I answer the invocation of the invoker when he calls upon me. Or I answer the prayer when they call upon me. So let them respond with obedience to me and believe in me. Perhaps they will be guided to the right way. Now what's very unique about this verse is in other verses in the Quran, like قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَادُ قُلْ عَوْضُ Many of these surahs that, alhamdulillah, a lot of people know. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the Prophet وسلم, and saying, قُلْ Say to them. Right, so there's some of these verses are responses to th- certain things that were asked. Um, for example, Kulhu Allahu Ahad was revealed when people were challenging the Prophet and uh, the nature of God. You know, like asking him, like, is God made of gold or silver? Was he born? What does he eat? Um, etc. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, Kulhu Allahu Ahad. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is the one, the unique, and and so on. But in this verse, um, chapter two. 186 following these verses of the of Ramadan which is uh, 183 to 2 uh, 185 in this section Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't tell the prophet to say qul and he just says i'm near so he's just addressing you and me and anybody any human being who's who's listening or reading the Quran Allah's responding and saying i am near and i respond to one's prayer when they call upon me so let them respond with obedience and service to me, to God, and believe in me. Perhaps they will be guided to the right way. Yarshidun. Now, what I'd like to do is kind of set up a little context here to help us, inshallah, understand how Ramadan is the month of self-diagnosis and how it can be used for self-development. Now, the starting point is what we would call the body and the spirit. We're going to do a little introduction to Islamic psychology here. The body and the spirit. The spirit or the ruh means the life force. It's that it's that thing, if you want to call it that, it's something we don't have a lot of knowledge about. But what we do know about it is um, there's some linguistic connections with air, like rih, you know, this tranquil or smooth air or breeze. There's um, connection with sweet fragrances and herbs like Raihan, Raha, tranquility. Uh, it means spirit. It can mean life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he blew from his spirit into Adam salam, and Mary and all of us. I mean, that's what gives us life. So if we just, for the sake of the context, understand the spirit as a luminous clear, beautiful, um, pre-existing life force that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created before uh, it came into the body and it's what's going to leave when we die. When the spirit comes into the body, it creates a nafs or a self or a soul. Now notice I use soul synonymously with self because the soul is now attached to the body or the person's identification. So we have this first duality, the spirit, which, if you will, is light, it's luminous, it knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it knows its origin, it's always going to be nourished 
and fulfilled only by its connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there's the body. The body, as we know, according to the Quran, is made of earth and water. Earth and water. And this is the clay that Allah fashioned the human being with. Now, what's the difference? Earth is coarse, it's heavy, um, it's dense, it's dark by its nature. Light doesn't penetrate through solid matter or earth. Um, but it does penetrate through water, which is also what we're made of. And water as a quality, if you will, or the property also represents in us, you know, cleanliness and flexibility, uh, malleability. Um, this is part of what makes the human flexible. And water and earth both have positive and negative elements, if you will, right? Earth is what makes us structured and grounded. And this is why we say things like, get your head out of the clouds and your feet on the ground. Um, earth helps us with organization, practicality. Um, you know, we say things like, dude, are you living on this planet? You know, are you on earth or not? You know, this this is for people that are just you know, somewhere else. They're not acknowledging the way things actually work. So these are positive things about the earth element in us. But some of the negative things could include laziness, lethargy, too much appetite, heaviness, attachment to material and temporal realities, um, and forgetting your eternal or spiritual essence, right, that's in us. And this is what all the prophets have come to remind us of, this tawheed, this asserting of unified reality and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one and unique without a second and that any of our worship and service and devotion and ultimate commitment should be first and foremost to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything else is an extension of that whether you relate to your family how you relate to your spouse how you relate to the environment to animals to money all of these things have to be checked and standardized through the divine relationship with Allah. So already we have this um, duality of spirit and body. And when it comes together, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blows the spirit into the womb, we now start to generate the nafs or the self or the soul. And so you and me, our nafs or our self, I, I like to see it as it's like our self-identity um, our self-identity as it is attached to the body, the ego. Now, the ego can be a good thing or a bad thing. That all depends on what kind of work we do with it, right? Um, and this is why there's that tension between dunya and akhirah, between you know materialism and, and spirituality. Um, the tension of the nafs exists between these two main elements, the earth and the spirit. Your nafs is also a product of these two and what kind of relationship the spirit has with the body and the body has with the spirit. Now, Ramadan, what's fascinating about it is it's telling us to push back the needs of the body and focus and push forward the needs of the spirit, our spiritual essence. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, if you do Ramadan right, last year when you think about Ramadan, when it ended, you probably didn't feel very heavy. You felt light. You felt expanded. You felt confident. You felt energized. You felt, wow, subhanAllah, I can actually do a lot more than I imagined. And you realize that the attachments of the body, the food, the drink, the sexuality, um, these things are not actually the main 
uh, source of our life force or our drive or our motivation or our energy. Uh, we know plenty of people who probably, you know, go to the gym um, throughout the year and in Ramadan they still go to the gym. Even though they don't have protein shakes, they're not eating as many calories, they still are able to work out and sometimes do even more. So already fasting is setting us up to push back the needs of the body, not make that the priority and make what the priority? The spiritual essence of who we are. Fasting what makes it very powerful is food and drink and sexual drives are ex very immediate instinctual needs of any human being. When you wake up every day, those are the first things that you're likely feeling or, 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 or need, especially food and water. And all of a sudden, you're reminded immediately when you have to drink or you want to have a coffee in the morning that, oh, I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to fast to increase our taqwa like he has for those before us so it's a powerful mechanism to make each of us have that taqwa or conscientiousness of god mindfulness of god because it's not easy to be have taqwa when you know you're satiated your belly's full you know everything is uh satisfied and fulfilled there isn't that sense of need or contingency um, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we are contingently real and we really need God and fasting is one of those things that reminds us how fragile our your, our actual state is um, from a physical standpoint but it reminds us also how powerful we can be from a spiritual standpoint Ramadan is also the time where the shayateen are locked up which is where this self-diagnosis point comes in more clear any evil inclinations or bad deeds that i want to do in ramadan there's no more you know the devil made me do it or the west wisa from shaitan um you can't play that card right because if these creatures are locked up then that means any evil inclination or um, wrong action that comes through ourselves means it's actually imprinted in us. It's now been habituated. It's part of us, right? So number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this opportunity to see more clearly about the state of our nafs, ourselves. And he also locks up the shayateen so that we can have almost like a spiritual boot camp for the month, right? Um, number one, we see the flaws in our heart, the stains, the rust that's in our spiritual hearts and our personalities and our mentalities, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also chains up the shayateen so that we can really refine and clean and purify and transform ourselves as best as we can. When a human being is hungry and thirsty, uh, they're not going to have as much energy and drive to commit sins. Yeah, um, We know this, like when you're so hungry, you can't focus on anything else other than, you know, I need to eat. We don't really have a lot of energy in scheming to go plot and commit some major sins, you know, perhaps. Hence why the Prophet ﷺ um, encouraged people who aren't married to fast because fasting uh, decreases sexual appetite. We also know that in Islam, we're supposed to observe the best conduct and character possible. So this is, again, part of self-diagnosis and self-development. It's not enough for you to just feel hungry and thirsty and, and thinking about food all day, um, but you actually have to check yourself before you wreck yourself, 
Am I using foul language? Am I still backbiting? Um, am I still wasting time with idle talk or watching too much TV or Netflix and what have you? These are all things that we are supposed to address and really face during Ramadan. Some people, you know, and this is an opinion that scholars have given in, in the past as well, like from benefits of Ramadan, like feeling the pain of the hungry and the poor. Um, but that's not the, one of the main reasons. That's just a product. And uh, I would even argue that that's not always even accomplished by most of us, especially us living in, alhamdulillah, very nice lifestyles um, in, in certain parts of the world. You know, a poor person doesn't spend all day thinking about what they're going to eat necessarily, right? That's not tapping into what poor people feel. Um, most of us, we are thinking about all the things we want to eat during the day. We're, we're still eating with our imagination and drinking with our imagination. A real poor person, and some of you have met them and know what I'm talking about, they don't know when the next time they're going to eat is. That's poverty of hunger, not what, what, not what we feel during the fast of Ramadan. Because we get to eat, alhamdulillah, and drink every day, a few times a day even. So that's not really feeling the, the, what, what the poor people feel. I remember once um, reading a question, like a Q&A on, on an Islamic site, and some of our brothers uh, and sisters in a very impoverished part of the world, their question was this um, to the scholar, you know, what do we do when the time for breaking fast comes and we have nothing to break our fast with? No food, no water, nothing. Yani, that you know, just should make you cry. That's poverty. That's feeling what people feel uh, who are really poor. Um, because as you know, you have to break your fast when you, if you have the means. Um, and inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from the people who can't even break their fast. Um, it's not going to be considered invalid just because they're so poor, they don't have anything to break their fast with. But that's also a call for us, you know, who eat too much, who throw food away in Ramadan, a'udhu billah, um, we need to give more in Ramadan and feed the hungry, give charity. These are some of the ways we can also purify ourselves and also um, weaken our attachment and reliance on materials like money and food and all this excess that most of us live in. We also need to make sure that we eat human portions in Ramadan you know, I get it. Maybe the first few days, you know, you're going to be shocking your system a bit. You didn't prepare in Sha'ban, um, so you're going to overload. But if you're still eating monster portions at the end of Ramadan, then I don't know if you really got the point. Um, it's not just about a physical cleanse, ladies and gentlemen. It's about taqwa. It's about enhancing your spirituality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also reminds us that this is the month of Qur'an. So the divine communication is something we need to get back into that conversation with, right? These divine text messages. We, subhanAllah, some of us, we're willing to check our text messages while we're driving on the road and we're risking killing ourselves and others. That's so important to us. But what about the divine text messages? You know, these are literally messages of text and recitation that we have at our fingertips as well. And we are meant to re-engage, reconnect, fall back in love 
with the Quran as much as possible. Now, my recommendation with the Quran, some people like to read the whole Quran, um, memorize Quran. And these are all wonderful goals. Um, but I would also suggest like taking the surahs that you already know right now, if you don't know what they mean and you can't really translate them properly, you should make that a goal for Ramadan. If you can't translate Al-Fatiha and Qul Allahu Ahad, then why are you going to read through the whole book um, without knowing anything of what it says? Uh, and yeah, you could read the English and, and get some meaning, but why not really understand what you already have memorized, right, from the small surahs that you might know? Because that's going to impact your spirituality for the rest of the year, isn't it? Knowing what one verse of the Quran means, it's like having a string of jewels or a string of pearls. And knowing the whole Quran, but not knowing what it means, it's like walking around and carrying a heavy locked treasure chest. I mean, if you saw somebody walk, carrying a heavy locked treasure chest, you'd be like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm carrying around this chest. It's full of treasure. MashaAllah. Um, can you open it? No, I can't. Do you know what kind of treasure is in there? No, I don't. I just know it's valuable and it's heavy. Alhamdulillah. But what good is it really going to do for you? It just becomes more of a burden that you carry. Right? So if we have the Quran memorized and we don't know what it means, I think certainly this advice would apply to you as well. Right? Like maybe I should stop and, and actually learn the vocabulary of, of the terms and, and all these surahs that I know and get a sense of what it means. Because if I don't know what I'm reciting... Right, I just know it's Arabic, I just know it's Quran And sure, there's benefit in the vibration of the Quran I'm not taking away from that But the impact on, on your heart Linguistically and consciously It's like as if you might as well be reciting Mandarin or Greek You know, it just sounds like a foreign language So learning the meaning of the Quran I think is an important goal Besides just trying to, you know Race through the whole thing um, like some of us do, and we feel, oh, mashallah, so accomplished, I read the whole thing, right? But nothing really impacts you unless you create powerful, meaningful associations with your psychology. That's what makes things stick as a human being. And this is why also in Ramadan, we are called to have more salah, because salah is our connector, our conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why we have tarawih, we have tahajjud. But don't do it to the extent that you miss your obligations, right? So don't pray all night if you're going to miss Fajr. That doesn't make sense. And Tarawih is not an obligation, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you want to go every night because it just it works for you and, and that's you know your commitment, mashallah, Allahu Akbar. But some people, they get burnt out or they overwhelm themselves because they believe they have to go do Tarawih every night. Um, you don't have to. You can also pray for eight rakahs at home. By yourself, because again, Ramadan is about taqwa, and it's about Quran. So if you can increase in those things, even in your own terms and at home, and it impacts you, and you feel enhancement of consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that's the point. Because sometimes going to the masjid, there's a strong communitarian, you know, validator of like, oh, I saw you, see you every night, I see my friends, you know, we talk, we socialize. Um, and sometimes our egos um, can... Forget that, you know, are we still going to worship Allah or are we going because it's enjoyable or fun or it's a nice social experience or I'm going to grab coffee with the guys after tarawih, etc. 
So just make sure you check your intentions uh, every day before you fast at night, as well as when you perform extra acts of worship. And for those of us that struggle with our daily salah outside of Ramadan, focus on perfecting your siyam and your character during fast, as well as focusing on trying to keep your five daily prayers in Ramadan. Um, and don't overburden yourself if it's something you don't do outside of Ramadan. If you don't pray five times a day, then make that your your focus. And inshallah, your commitment to that will make it easy for you to keep it after Ramadan. And Ramadan is about cultivating practices and habits that will keep you in a state of taqwa throughout the year. Not just in Ramadan and then we just drop the ball and go back to everything. You know, Eid morning. Sugar shaitan is back, backbiting is back, um, overeating is back, uh, not caring about the, the hungry and the weak is back, just, you know, back to social media, back to my job, back to the corporate grind, or what, af- what have you. Um, so really thinking about it in this way, um, that it's a month of self-diagnosis and it's a month of self-development. It helps us see where we truly stand spiritually it helps us develop and cultivate and refine the aspects of ourselves that we aren't very pleased with because we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might not be pleased with, right? I've met people, all they do is complain while they're fasting. Oh God, this is so hard and why and this uh, doesn't make sense or what? SubhanAllah, okay, you don't have to fast. You know, Allah doesn't need you to fast. He's telling us you can fast for your own taqwa. So if that's not something you're very interested in, then you're going to feel the pain and hunger. Like the Prophet said, some people only feel those things when they're fasting and nothing else. right? But spirituality, ladies and gentlemen, is not supposed to feel good all the time. It's not about feeling good all the time. right? When you think about the change makers, the social activists, people we read about, their biographies, and we're like, oh wow, this woman or this man, they're so amazing, look what they did. Usually their life didn't feel good the whole time. Did Martin Luther King's life feel amazing all the time? Did the Anbiya of Allah, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa, Rasulullah, did they have a good time all the time or feel good all the time? No, right? But but that's not what spirituality is, is about all the time, that it's about feeling just good. It's actually about discomfort. It's about disciplining your ego and your nafs. And disciplining your ego and your nafs simply means that you don't always give it what it wants. You don't always give it what it wants. Just like you don't give your child whatever it wants, whenever it wants it. Because if you did, you'd be a bad parent. You have to explain to them that this is not good and you're not going to have candy five times a day. You have to also eat real food. Even though the kids might not like that, you know that you're going to make them do it because it's good for them, right? So similarly, spirituality, ladies and gentlemen, is not about just feeling good all the time. Um, sometimes it is difficult and you will be uncomfortable, but you're always going to feel good after that. Yeah, but the means isn't always an amazing feeling the whole time. Um, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he commands it, then it's good for us. And we believe in that and we submit to him because he's our maker and he knows us better than we know ourselves. So inshallah, I wanted to keep it brief and um, hopefully uh, we can take some uh, reminders from this uh, sharing and uh, thank you for tuning in Ramadan Mubarak and Ramadan Kareem to each and every one of you may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and forgive us Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen